Please, people of God, turn your Bibles this afternoon to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In the first place, as we return to our study of the Belgic Confession, we look to a few brief passages together this afternoon, each one speaking to us about the wonder of our sanctification, which is the burden of Article 24 of the Confession of Faith. Read 2 Corinthians 5 in the first place. Verses 16 and 17, they speak of, of the work which God began in us when we came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Let's turn the second place to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, verse 6. Apostle Paul speaks to that good work. And he says, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, 1 Thessalonians 5. We'll be focusing primarily on this passage this afternoon. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Where the Apostle Paul says, Now... May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. There is the reading of God's word this afternoon. Let's turn also to our Confession of Faith, Article 24, page 178 in the Forms and Prayers books, page 863. In the back of the Psalter, 178 in the Forms and Prayers books, 863 in the back of the Psalter. I'm going to deal with the article as a whole. I'm going to be focusing especially on what we read in the first three paragraphs. This will be confessed concerning the sanctification of sinners. We believe that this true faith produced in man by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit regenerates him and makes him a new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. Therefore, far from making people cold toward living in a pious and holy way, this justifying faith, quite to the contrary, so works within them that apart from it, they will never do a thing out of love for God but only out of love for themselves and fear of being condemned. So then it is impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in a human being, seeing that we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love, which leads a man to do, himself, do of himself the works that God has commanded in his word. These works proceeding, proceeding from the good root of faith are good and acceptable to God, since they are all sanctified by his grace. Yet they do not count toward our justification, 
For by faith in Christ we are justified even before we do good works. Otherwise, they could not be good. Any more than the fruit of a tree could be good if the tree is not good in the first place. So then we do good works. But not for merit. For what would we merit? Rather, we are indebted to God for the good works we do, and not he to us. Since it is he who works in us, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, keeping in mind what is written, when you have done all that is commanded you, then you shall say, we are unworthy servants. We have done what is our duty to do. Yet we do not wish to deny that God rewards good works, but by his grace, but it is by his grace that he crowns his gifts. Moreover, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them. For we cannot do any work that is not defiled by our flesh and also worthy of punishment. And even if we could point to one, memory of a single sin is enough for God to reject that work. So we would always be in doubt, tossed back and forth without any certainty. And our poor consciences would be tormented constantly if they did not rest on the merit of the suffering and death of our Savior. This the Church of Christ does believe and confess throughout the world. Well, dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to begin this afternoon simply by asking the question, what does it mean to be sanctified? Or to state the question as the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks it, what is sanctification? What is sanctification? Well, to, co- to quote the Shorter Catechism, sanctification is in the first place The work of God's free grace. The work of sanctification is not in the first place something that we do, but is something that God does. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, says that catechism, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. We considered last time in Article 23 the wonder of our justification and how the wonder of our justification lies in the reality that God has imputed to us, he has credited to us the goodness, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if we ourselves had never sinned nor been sinners, as if we ourselves had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for us. Now as we come to Article 24, we're reminded that when God justifies the sinner, when God brings a sinner into a restored relationship with himself, God immediately begins to work within the sinner so that he or she becomes A new creation, as Paul has said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's a work of God's free grace that God will surely bring to completion at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 6. There need not be any doubt about it that if you are in Christ Jesus, you really are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, God made, made a breach with your old man. And you were set apart. You were sanctified. 
And now Paul says in in 1 Thessalonians 5 that God is going to sanctify you completely. No part of you is going to be left untouched or unimpacted by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So that when you stand before God in that last day, that great day of judgment, you'll do so as those who are blameless. For he who calls you is faithful, says Paul, he will surely do it. And so as we embark, or rather as we already have embarked upon another new year, isn't this a wonderful comfort for us that he who began a good work in us and we first believed will bring that work to completion at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not going to leave you only halfway done. He's not going to leave you halfway sculpted. But he is making you into a masterpiece that will be fit for heaven. So as we consider the doctrine of sanctification, as we find it here in Article 24, I'd like for us to consider four things together this afternoon, four headings that aren't original to me, but four headings that I think will serve us well. Noting in the first place, the source of our sanctification in the gift of God. And then secondly, the scope of our sanctification in the work of God. And then thirdly, the summons to sanctification and the call of God. And then finally, the seal of our sanctification in the promise of God. The source, the scope, the summons, and the seal. Now, Paul says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. We must recognize from the very outset that the source of our sanctification is indeed found in God himself. As our confession says, we believe that this true faith produced in man by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's where this faith comes from, this sanctifying faith, by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit. None of us here had the power within ourselves to become new creations. But only in and through the Lord Jesus Christ was this gospel reality made possible. Therefore, says Paul, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For our union with Christ is transforming, says Charles Hodge. It alone imparts a new life. It affects a new creation. And so this expression that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, this expression indicates not only the greatness and radical nature of the change affected, but also its divine origin. It is a divine work, that is, it is a work due to the mighty power of God himself. As the Westminster Catechism says, sanctification is a gift of God's free grace, whereby the Spirit comes to us and, and so works within us that our old hearts of, of hard stone are, are replaced with new soft hearts of flesh. Notice the emphasis here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 on God himself. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, says Paul. For he himself is the only one who can accomplish this work in our hearts and lives. It is God himself, says Paul, in chapter 313, who establishes our hearts blameless in holiness. And so here in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is pointing out the source of sanctification for every believer. As Paul brings his letter to a close, it's almost as though Paul is saying, none of you can do all that I've exhorted you to do throughout this letter in your own strength. But you need God. You need the the God of peace. You need the God of peace who made peace by the blood of Christ's cross. You you need him. You need him to sanctify you. 
to make you holy as he is holy. You need him to keep your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need him. He is the source, says Paul. If we are to endure, if we are to persevere to the end, we need God himself to separate us from the world. We need him to sanctify us from our old life of sin and we need him and his grace if we are to live new lives of devotion to him. And so Paul would have us see that the source of our sanctification is indeed in God and in him alone. It's only in God that the Thessalonians will be able to do all that Paul has commanded them to do. That's what we see in the first place this morning. But notice in the second place, the scope, the scope of our sanctification and the work of God. Paul says, now may the God himself, the peace of himself, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This gracious gift of sanctification we see in the second place is indeed a gift that, that has an impact on the whole of man. No, no part of him is left untouched or unaffected. For this true faith that God works in our hearts by the hearing of his word and by the Holy Spirit does what, says the confession? It regenerates him and makes him a whole new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. Or to quote article chapter 13 from the Westminster Confession, they who are once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit, are, are further sanctified really and personally in virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man. And the point that both our own confession and the Westminster Confession are making is that God's work of sanctification is a work that leaves no stone unturned, no, no aspect of man unimpacted or unaffected. This is what Paul is getting at when he says, may God sanctify you completely. May your whole soul and spirit and body be kept blameless. What Paul is saying here is that the whole of man is to be transformed, sanctified, and devoted to God. His head, his heart, and his hands. How we think and what we love and, and what we choose. All these things have to be renovated and restored and transformed by this sanctifying work of God the Spirit. Every aspect of us must be born again according to this comprehensive work of God. Every area of life. If you're a student in school, that means you do your studies diligently and with integrity, not cheating off your neighbor. If you're an employer, then you, you treat your employees well. You don't seek to get around render, rendering to Caesars what is Caesars. If you're an employee, you, you serve your employer well. You don't steal time. You don't steal supplies. That the work of sanctification recognizes not a work that has any sort of boundaries. It's not a, a work that just happens in our, in our home life, but then not in our school life or, or our work life. But Paul is speaking of a, a comprehensive work that that has an impact on everything we say, everything that we do, and the way in which we say, and the way in which we do what we do. No stone is left unturned. But all things must 
be sanctified. All every aspect of our life must be renovated. There's no area in your life or mine that doesn't need to be brought into conformity with the pattern of perfect obedience and holiness before the face of God. And this, you could say, is the manner in which God preserves and keeps his people. He does so by progressively sanctifying them more and more into the image of his Son. And so Paul's earnest prayer for the Thessalonians is that God himself would sanctify them through and through. Be another way to translate those words uh, completely and whole, through and through. May God sanctify you through and through, all of you, every part of you. We speak to the thoroughness of the transforming grace that we stand in need of. If the two words were to be distinguished, John R. Stott suggests the former word translated as completely probably refers to a totality from which no part is excluded, while the latter, the word translated as whole, speaks to an integrity in which each part has its due place and proportion. But the essential point of each word is the same. We need to be sanctified through and through. There's no faculty of my mind that does not need to be renovated from the ruins of my sin. There's no desire in my heart that doesn't need to be redirected and and reoriented towards God. There's no work of my hand that doesn't need to be redevoted to the glory of God rather than to the glory of myself. My whole spirit, soul, and body needs to be sanctified. I wonder, congregation, is Paul's prayer Your prayer, do you pray, Lord, sanctify me through and through? Do you pray the words earnestly that we sang a few moments ago? In your commandments, make me walk, O Lord. In your law, my joy shall be. Lord, give me a heart that loves your will from discontent and envy free. Mind of the famous prayers of the Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, who once said, Lord, make me as holy as a pardoned sinner can be. Is that our prayer? Lord, make me as holy. Make me as sanctified as as a pardoned sinner possibly can be. This is the desire that the Apostle Paul is setting before us here. The scope of our sanctification, leaving no stone unturned. We're all familiar with the familiar maxim of Abraham Kuyper that there is not a a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does does not cry mine. And the Apostle Paul would say that's true of each of your individual lives as well. There's not one area in your life that you can say, I'll just keep this part for myself and and give the rest to, to the Lord Jesus. But all is his. Everything has to be devoted to him. And so recognizing the source and the scope, we notice in the second place, the summons. Notice that Paul describes the God of our sanctification as being the God who calls us. He says, the God who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. He speaks in in the present tense. The God who called us into his marvelous light in the past, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, is also the God who calls us in the present. He calls us to radical holiness in the present. And so we recognize although the work of sanctification is indeed a work that is in the first place a work of of God himself done by 
the power of his grace and spirit, it's also something to which God calls us to strive after more and more. We are to be holy as he is holy. As God once said to King Solomon, so God says also to us, let your heart, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord your God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. Our confession has it exactly right when it says, far from making people cold or indifferent toward living in a pious and holy way, it is impossible. It is impossible for this holy faith to be unfruitful in the human being. But we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love, which leads a man to do of himself the words that God has com- the works that God has commanded in his word. Christian life, you must see, is not a life of sitting on your hands. It's not a life of saying, well, let go and let God. There's no autopilot or, or a cruise control feature to the Christian life. But there is a constant call daily to put to death the old man and to put on the new man, which is fashioned according to the image of Christ. The call of verse 24 is in the present tense. There is this perpetual, persistent summons that is, that is always set before us. The Bible says, seek the Lord and he may, that he may be found. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, not harden your hearts. To quote John Owen, always be in the business of killing sin or sin will be in the business of killing you. There is this, this activity that sanctification calls us to. One pastor, David Strain, speaks of the error of some who seem to think that over the course of time, old habits of sin will simply begin to fall off like a wart that's frozen at the dermatologist and just falls off. No cutting required. That's not the way. Sin does not just peel away. Sin doesn't just peel away like dead skin off sunburnt off sunburnt shoulders. But sin needs to be cut out. It needs to be crucified. It needs to be put to death and rooted out. There's no autopilot feature. There's no cruise control. No allowance in the Christian life for simply plateauing. That we get to a place where we say, I don't really need to, to grow in grace anymore. I'm just kind of good where I'm at. Rather, the constant call is set before us, the summons to strain forward to what lies ahead, to know Christ more, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, to die unto sin and live unto righteousness, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. God is the author. God is the source. He himself brings the work to completion. But until that day comes, he summons us. He calls us to devote ourselves to holy living. He calls us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you, as you can see in the last place, is faithful. And he will surely do it. Paul concludes his prayer with this great and glorious promise. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. With these words, we learn something of the seal or the certainty of our sanctification. You see, Paul's prayer is not 
a despairing wail, writes one pastor, but Paul's prayer is a cry of faith. He is supremely confident that what he has asked will be done. And this verse teaches us the ground of Paul's trust is in the nature or the character of God himself. Paul knows that that our God is always faithful and always reliable to do all that he has said he will do. Paul knows that he is the God who, when he revealed himself to Moses, the burning bush, revealed himself as as Yahweh, the the God of the covenant, which is to say the God who, who keeps his promises, who does everything he says he will do. And so when the God of covenant faithfulness begins a good work in us, we can be sure that he will bring that work to completion. This is what Paul is getting at elsewhere in Romans chapter 8 when he outlines what Reformed theologians call that, that golden chain of salvation. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. Our election, our justification, our sanctification, our, glorify, our glorification, they are all linked together in this one comprehensive work of salvation. So that every believer can say, then nothing shall separate me from this love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. As John Calvin writes, when the Lord has adopted us as his sons, we may expect that his grace will continue to be exercised towards us. For God does not promise to be a father to us merely for a day, but God adopts us with this understanding that he is to cherish us forever afterwards. Hence, our calling ought to be held by us as an evidence of everlasting grace, for he will not leave the work of his hands incomplete. See, congregation, we consider the work of sanctification. We recognize that we ourselves have become the work of God's redeeming hands. If you are in Christ, you are God's workmanship. And although you may not be the man or the woman that you ought to be, you can look back on your life and you can say, well, by the grace of God, I'm I'm no longer who I used to be. God has, has begun this good work in me. And God will bring it to completion. The Bible assures us that God does not forsake the work of his hands. He's not going to abandon you halfway through. He's not like a a contractor who runs out of financial resources halfway through, so there you see this kind of dilapidated development halfway in the works. He's not like an artist who, who dies before his sculpture is ever completed. He will indeed sanctify you completely. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's God's seal upon your life, his word that never perishes or fades away. The seal of our sanctification is that very same seal that was signified in our baptism, that when God baptized us in the name of the Holy Spirit, he promised to do what? To to make his home within us and to sanctify us more and more. Until that last day, we shall stand with the elect in life eternal without the spot or stain of sin. He who began a good work will surely bring it to completion. And so every believer can 
take those words of the psalmist upon his own lips, the words of Psalm 138, verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me, for his steadfast love endures forever. God will not forsake the work of his hands. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe that, isn't it? Sometimes we look at our lives and we wonder, will will my struggle with this sin or that sin ever come to an end? Sometimes we begin to despair over that question. And sometimes it seems so hopeless that Satan begins, of course, to tempt us to say, why even bother fighting anymore at all? Just give in and give up. But what a comfort it is to know that God is even more committed to our sanctification and holiness than we are. God is more committed to making us in the image of Christ than, than we desire to be made into the image of Christ. As Paul has said elsewhere, even we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. He will not deny himself. God's desire for me is holiness. His desire for you is holiness. His desire is that you should delight in the things that Christ delights in. And the good news of the gospel is simply this. God will not rob himself of that desire. His desire is for you to be holy and God will not rob himself of that desire. To quote David Strain again, God will not withhold from you any necessary success, any necessary challenge, or any necessary comfort. He will keep nothing from you required to make you holy. No sin festering in your believing heart can make him back away from this commitment. Not your fear, not your laziness, not your lust, not your pride, not your anger, not your dark secret sin that nobody knows about, not your frequent habitual sins that you return to as a dog returns to his vomit only to feel overwhelmed with shame afterwards. There is nothing in you, says Strain, there is nothing Nothing, nothing in you, if you are a child of God, that can ever stop him or stay his hand or make him back away from making you like his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Satan tempts us to that despair, when he tells us of our guilt with him, what other recourse do we have then to look upward to see Christ there who made an end of all our sin? That's what he accomplished, isn't that, at his in his death and resurrection, the making an end of, of all our sin. And that's what he's bringing to full realization in my life, in your life here and now. He is purging us of all our sins and making us more and more holy. And Paul is summoning the Thessalonians to recognize that their sanctifier is stronger than their sin. He wants them to recognize that their progress in the Christian life isn't contingent upon their own personal resolve. Their progress in the Christian life isn't contingent upon how well they keep their New Year's resolutions. If you would have them to know that their entire salvation, all their progress is based upon the work of Christ and the faithfulness of God who 
never stops loving his people because he never began, as Gerhardus Vaughn says. As the prophet Jeremiah has recorded, I have loved you with an everlasting love, says the Lord. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. He who calls you is faithful. And not only that, but he who testifies to all these things says, surely I am coming soon. The day when your sanctification will be finally complete, says Jesus, is just around the corner. And so we pray, even so, come, come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon and we give you thanks for the work of your sanctifying grace. That the progress of the Christian life is not based upon who we are or on what we do. But upon the work of your son and your promise to be faithful. May this be our confidence, Lord, in our battle against sin. May this be our source of encouragement when we find ourselves wondering if our struggle with sin will ever come to an end. We remind ourselves that you are a God of victory, that a day is coming when you will indeed crush Satan under our feet. Father, we pray that you would sanctify us completely. You would conform us more and more into the image and likeness of your Son. Father, we pray that you would grant us grace to heed the summons to, to put to death the old man and to put on the new man, which is after Christ Jesus our Lord. May there not be any areas in our lives, Lord, that we keep hidden away just for ourselves. But may you sanctify us completely the way that we think, the, the things that we love, the things that we do. May you renovate us and restore us and renew us more and more until that last day when we shall appear before the judgment seat blameless. We thank you for this seal that you give us in your word, that you are faithful, that you will surely do all that you have said you will do. For Jesus' sake, amen.